able to remain standing just a bit longer, please do so. Either way, take your Bibles and turn to the book of James, James chapter 1. It's on page 1011. If you would like to use a Bible from the church, there should be one in front of you. And uh, this morning, I'm going to go ahead and read the first eight verses of James kind of give us a flavor, although the next couple of weeks we'll come back and look at these verses again. Uh, But I see something of an introduction here of a pattern that plays itself out throughout the book of James. So I'll go ahead and read that. This is God's Word for us this morning, and here's what God says. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in dispersion, Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. You may be seated. Father, thank you for your word. There's no word like your word. And we're thankful that we have your word, that you've given it to us. We're thankful that we could spend these next moments together in the context of worshiping you by receiving and understanding your word. And so we pray that you would meet with us in and through your word by your spirit and that we would not be, as James would say later, not merely hearers of your word, but that we would be doers of your word, that your word would literally transform us into what it calls for and describes. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning... This is Labor Day weekend. We're going we're, we're gonna to begin a new series uh, uh, going through the book of James. And uh, the plan, the thought is that maybe by Memorial Day weekend, it's not, we're not there yet, but maybe by Memorial Day weekend, we'll just about be done with our time in James. We might take a few excursions, uh, meander in and out along the way. But for the most part, from now to Memorial Day, we'll, our primary focus will be to look at the book of James just a little bit at a time. And so, but, but I, I always like to do this. Before we actually start the book of James and look at it in its particular uh, uh, thoughts, I, I, I always like to do like a big picture, an overview of the book of James. And so that's what I'm going to try to do this morning. I'm going to tell you about what I'm going to tell you about. And um, so you figure out which part this is this morning. But two thoughts, two points that I want to kind of collect my thoughts around. 
Um, they're there as an insert in your bulletin, if that's helpful to follow along in that way. Uh, but the first point is, uh, what is James concerned with? What is James about? The book of James. And then the second point is, what does James say about that? So what's the concern of the book of James? And then what does James say about that concern? Now, um, James is concerned about what might be called today applied Christianity. Although, I'm just going to tell you up front, if James was sitting here this morning, and, and, and uh, I'm here suggesting that James was about applied Christianity, um, James would be a bit confused. Uh, he would not see the need to modify Christianity uh, with the term applied, as though there is such a, there's two kinds of critters. There's applied Christianity, and there's unapplied Christianity. Uh, James would go, huh? Uh, James would say there's not two kinds of Christianity, applied and unapplied. Um, there's just applied Christianity, which is just Christianity. But James ain't here to straighten me out. Uh, and so, I, and, and for the sake of, of us grasping what James is about, um, I, I, I want to start with the notion um, that James is about applied Christianity uh, to, to help us to, to understand the gist of his argument, the flow of his book. Because what James helps us to understand, and he underscores the fact that Christianity, and for all who name the name of Christ, Christianity has huge implications, has robust relevance concerning the way we actually live our lives the way we think, the way we feel, the way we look at things, the way we respond to things, the way we relate to each other, the way we talk, the way we make decisions and prioritize, all of those nooks and crannies of life find words of relevance and explanation in James's book. Now, here's where this is tricky, though. So follow me. I know this is Labor Day weekend. Is it permissible to think carefully on a holiday weekend? Well, let's just assume that it might be. Because so, on the one hand, the essence of Christianity, Christianity at its essence, is not about the way we live. The essence of Christianity is about Christ and the way he lived and the way he died and the way he now lives forevermore. The essence of Christianity is about the person of Christ, the, the, the life of Christ. And, and, and uh, so the core of Christianity's message is not advice on how to live, but an announcement on how Christ lived. And yet, this wonderful announcement, this gospel 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. This announcement, not sheer advice, but this announcement is, in fact, life-altering. It's life-changing for those who believe it, for those who receive Christ, for those who turn to Christ and trust in Him in light of what He has done. Christianity, at its essence, is Christ, but Christianity, as James is describing it, is not at the level of essence, but at the level of evidence. What are the evidential outcomes of a, of a life that is trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that brings us back full circle in what I'm trying to talk about with James. James is about taking this announcement of who Christ is and working its implications and applications and relevance into our lives so that we understand how it alters the way that we live. Christ, James is working itself out into the application of the Christian message. James is talking about Christianity not at its essence as much as he's talking about it at its level of evidence in my life and in your life and in the lives of each and every person who would name the name of Jesus, who would belong to Jesus. And so James unpacks for us and moves us through just some very pertinent, practical, day-to-day -day, uh, issues as to how that relates to being a Christian. So, for instance, what do we make of trials and of suffering as a Christian? What are we to make of that? James is going to talk to us about that. Um, how do we understand temptations and desires as a Christian? James is going to talk about that. What do we do with God's Word ongoingly as Christians? James is going to touch on that. Uh, what, uh, how do we define true religion as Christians? James is going to explore that. What does our practice of love and uh, impartiality say about Christianity? James is going to deal with that. How does our faith in Christ uh, to give, uh, supposed to give rise to, to works of, of love and care for others. James is going to talk about that. Uh, what does the control of our tongues, our speech, have to do with Christianity? James is going to deal with that. Uh, how does um, the way we speak about others uh, and, uh, and to others relate to our Christianity? James is going to deal with that. Um, what does the way that we make plans about our future have to do with Christianity? James is going to touch on that as well. Uh, how does the use of our wealth relate to Christianity? James is going to speak about that. What does uh, um, our waiting patiently for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ have to do with our Christianity? James is going to talk about that. Uh, how does um, sim uh, simply 
stay, standing on our word, letting our yes be yes and our no be no relate to Christianity. James is going to deal with that. Uh, what, what does prayer have to do with Christianity? James is going to talk about that. Uh, what does helping an errant brother or sister have to do with Christianity? James is going to talk about that. So, you're good till after Memorial Day then. I just told you everything I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you as we walk our way. Now, now there's, a, there's a lot of details. If you don't mind, you can come back. We can, catch, we can fill you in on the details. But just a, the broad circle, I've just walked you through the five chapters of James because what James is doing is, 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 is he's addressing the issue of, of Christianity at its essence is Christ and how, uh, what Christ has, how Christ has lived and what he has done to rescue people like us from our sins. And, and, and yet for all who turn to Christ, Christ, there is there is profound evidence that begins to seep out in the day-to-day living of our lives that 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 our that our, our Christianity invades and affects and permeates how we think and how we feel and how we talk and how we relate and how we respond to and how we deal with all aspects of life. So Christianity at its essence is how Christ lived and died and lives again. Christianity at the level of evidence is the impact that Christ now has. Or let me frame it another way. James is very concerned about a life of obedience and good works. And if you've read much of the New Testament, particularly if you've wandered over and read one of Paul's 13 books, you'd, you'd be like, whoa, obedience and good works. I thought that we are pardoned of our sins and adopted into God's family, not on the basis of our obedience and our good works, but, but we're, uh, we, we're brought into God's family. We are pardoned of our sins and adopted as well-loved children on the basis of trusting in Jesus and not trusting in our own efforts, our own obedience, our own good works. And this is where you have to think then. So, so do we just give a wink and a nod and a little smirky smile to James when he makes a big fuss about obedience and good works? Do we say, <laughs> we, we, we know that that's not necessary? Is it necessary? How, in what way do we make sense of this? So on the one hand, are, is, is obedience and good works necessary? Well, it depends on how you're thinking through necessary. So, for instance, um, is the basis of God pardoning me of my sin and adopting me into his family, is that on the basis of once I finally get my act together and I start doing some good works and I start doing some impressive acts of obedience that the Lord says, ooh, look at him. 
That's a good one. I wish I had more like Joe. <laughs> no bantering from the galley section. <laughs> of course, I have a feeling that the Lord's smirking as well. So, yeah. So, so you're, you're like Jesus at that moment. So, yeah, he, he was rolling his eyes too. Uh, so, in other words, are, are works necessary as the cause of our salvation? But are works necessary as a consequence of our salvation? Of course, that didn't get recorded, did it? So, in other words, if we're talking about works and obedience as the basis for earning our salvation, then there is no level of good works or no level of obedience that I could muster up. In fact, Isaiah would, would remind us that our acts of righteousness are a lot like dirty rags, not very impressive to the Lord. We, none of us are pardoned of our sins. None of us are welcomed into God's family if we choose to trust in ourselves and our acts of obedience and our good works. But that's not what James is talking to us about. James is saying, so what? So now that you freely have come to Jesus by trusting in his work, not your own work. In fact, you've renounced your own works, and you're, you're, now, you're, you're now rejoicing in the obedience of Jesus, the good works of Jesus, that he laid down his life for us. And when, when all who rely upon Jesus, then that experience is, in fact, life-altering. And, and the evidence of a life-altering relationship with Jesus is that now obediences and good works begin to flow out of such a life. So obedience and good works are necessary, not as a cause for salvation, but as a consequence of our salvation. Our obedience and our good works do not earn us salvation, but they evidence that salvation has come to us. That's what that, and that's the part James is concerned with the evidence of Christianity in our lives. James is concerned with the consequence of a life that is now lived in reliance, in soul reliance upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He's concerned with applied Christianity, that you and I would earnestly desire to apply uh, the, the ethics and the virtues and the morality of the Christian faith into our lives, that, 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 that we don't pit things against each other, that the Scripture never pits against each other, that, that we don't say, you know what, some people are trying to become Christians by their works, I'm, I'm going to become a Christian, I'm going to show that I'm a Christian by my no works. That, that is just a foreign concept to the Scripture. Christianity is more than a mere ethical system. Christianity is more than a, uh, a, a, a orientation of virtue and obedience and good works. But Christianity 
works itself out into our lives in ethical and in virtuous ways. Christianity works itself into our lives by good works and by obediences. And James just very practically, very concretely takes various scenarios and situations and says, here's what the evidence of Christianity looks like in trials and in suffering. Here's what Christianity looks like in temptations and with our desires. Here's what Christianity looks like in showing favoritism or lack thereof or refusing to show favoritism most specifically. Here's what Christianity looks like in terms of good works and caring for others. Here's what Christianity looks like in terms of the use of our tongue and our speech. Here's what Christianity looks like as we speak to and about each other. Here's what Christianity looks like in terms of how we make plans about the future. Here's what Christianity looks like in terms of, of how we use our wealth. Here's what Christianity looks like as we patiently wait for the return of Jesus. Here's what Christianity looks like in terms of what we think about prayer. And here's what Christianity looks like in terms of how we are concerned about our errant brothers and sisters. So that's what James is concerned with. That's what James is about. And we will look at those each and every individual concerns that really address how do you and I grab a hold of these teachings so that we display the evidence that salvation has freely come to us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then quickly, uh, just the other point that I want to make related to the book of James by way of orientation, getting us started, is uh, so what does James say about that? So James is talking about evidential Christianity how it plays itself out concretely in our lives, about the consequence of salvation and how that shows itself out in the way that we think and feel and live and respond to and relate to each other. Well, that brings us to then the second point, and there's two matters that I wish to make quickly in relationship to the second point. Um, So James is concerned with Um, how we practically live out this life ethically, virtuously, uh, flourishing in acts of obedience, demonstrating uh, works um, of service and love for others. Um, And and, and yet, the, the thing that James says about that is such a life, such a lived life requires something. And in particular, it requires what James calls wisdom. So, for instance, the the very first elements here, you put your eyes there on verse 5, if anyone lacks wisdom, there you go. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. 
in order to know how to concretely, practically live, in order to know how to give evidence that we belong to Jesus, in order to, to, uh, to demonstrate the consequences of salvation by love and good works and, and by obedience and by ethical living and virtuous living, you and I need a load of this thing that James calls wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is far more than smarts or knowledge. That's why a lot of people could go to college and rack up a big debt and not be very wise. Now, that's not me saying you shouldn't go to college and rack up a big debt. That's for you to figure out. So, but I just would encourage you, if you do rack up a big debt, just pay for it your own self. So, uh, now... Uh, That, that was not in the notes, though. So. Uh, just stay with the notes. It's better off. So, uh, but, um, but wisdom is moral skill for living. Well, I, I think of my parents. I, I think of two people who never went past the eighth grade in terms of, of official gradation of schooling. And, and I look at two people that the, that the world would say, them a couple of dumb bunnies from the boot heel. Not, I, I'm not saying people from the boot heel are dumb bunnies. I'm not saying, yeah, yeah that just, my parents are from the boot heel and they're not dumb bunnies, yeah. So, um, but what I'm saying is that they didn't have formal education, but what, did they have wisdom? Do you, you know, that commercial that you, you know, that one commercial you, you're becoming like your parents, you know, uh, I, I know that that's a cute, really cute commercial, and that's like the, 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 the examples they give there are like ways that I don't want to be like my parents, that I probably am, nevertheless. But, but, but nevertheless, to the extent that your mom and dad reflected the moral skill for living as to the fact that you should become like your parents. You and I need moral skill for living. We need wisdom because wisdom entails a perspective, a way of looking at life, a way of looking at things. It, it actually entails God's perspective on life and thus provides us the insight that we need that fuels virtuous ethical living, that fuels the perspective necessary to do obedience and good works. Biblical wisdom is, well, it's not from around here. Uh, biblical wisdom is not something native to our current human condition. That's why James would have to say in verse 8, if anyone lacks wisdom, which is really an understatement, uh, it, it would really be a, a, a better statement to say, since you lack wisdom... Ask of God who gives it generously. So where does wisdom come from? Uh, because it doesn't natively come from us. It, it doesn't come from this world system. It, it, well, it comes from above. And in fact, look over in chapter 3 for a second because 
uh, James, right in the middle of his book, blows this thing called wisdom up and gives greater specificity to it. He introduces it in verse 8 of chapter 1. Hey, do you lack wisdom to know how to respond to these things in life? Well, then, then, then ask God. But, but he says in verse 13 of chapter 3, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. In other words, you, are you, are you an, are, do, you want, do, you, do you want to perform good conduct? Do you want to show good works? Then you, you, the, the underbelly of that is you're going to need some wisdom. We're going to need some wisdom. But if you have, verse 14 of chapter 3, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, which is native, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that, is, that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, peaceable, then gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So James is concerned about you and I evidencing that we name the name of Jesus by our obedience, by our virtue, by our ethical living, by our good works. And yet what he says about that is that you need wisdom from God. Wisdom is something from above. It's something that we have to look up and ask God for. But here's the good news. Uh, he ain't stingy with those who ask for it. If you ask him for it, Lord, I need your perspective on this decision that I'm going to make. Lord, I, I need your wisdom uh, on how to deal with this person. Lord, I need your wisdom on what to do that would honor you in this situation. The Lord never says, get away, kid, you're bugging me. You always are asking for wisdom and stuff like that. You know, that, that's not our Father in heaven at all. He generously gives to all who ask him. And yet, and yet did you catch this in, back in chapter 1? But let him, verse 6, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a, like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For such a person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. And then notice what he says. This is the second thing that I want to tell you about what James says about what he's talking about. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So James says, in order to live the life that you're supposed to live as those who name the name of Christ, you need wisdom. And, 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 then, and he adds to that, and if you realize you need wisdom, here's another caveat. Um, if Christianity does concern itself on how we live, because that gives evidence that we are truly Christian, then wisdom from above is needed to enable us to do what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to live. Then James James presses that in and takes that a step further and says to have the wisdom that we need to be able to live virtuously, then we need to pursue a life of true devotion to the Lord. That's the heart of James. 
The heart of the book of James is that in order to live the way that we're supposed to live, we need wisdom. And in order to have the wisdom that we need to have, we need a devotion to the Lord. If you're double-minded, in other words, you got one foot in, I'm a Christian kind of thing, and one foot in, boy, but there's a lot of neat stuff that ain't Christian. Then you don't have true devotion to the Lord. In fact, he would pick up this issue of double-mindedness in chapter 4 of James. In verse 8, he says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify you heart, your hearts, you, and what's the word? You double-minded. You see, what he introduces in chapter 1 is a theme that runs throughout the, the, the book. No wisdom from above falls on those who are double-minded. And so the heart of James is that if you want wisdom because you want to live in, in a way that evidences true Christianity, then we need to draw near to God. We need to be fully devoted to the Lord. We, we can't live in two worlds. We have to live in one world. We can't, in the words of our Lord himself, we cannot serve two masters. We need to love the one and get rid of the other, or vice versa. But you cannot serve both God and stuff. Which, by the way, is Jesus' words from the Sermon on the Mount, which when we dive into James, the book of James has so many allusions and references to the Sermon on the Mount. It's like he, he listened eventually to what his big brother said, and now he's unpacking it for us in, in this context. So let me quit by just saying this. And that is, most everything I've said this morning is only for people who have begun a relationship with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I've, I've not told you one thing about how to become a Christian. I, I, I've told you a bunch of things about how to live and act as a Christian. And those who truly are Christians need to be truly devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ in order to have the wisdom, in order to live the life that truly evidences that we are, that we belong to the Lord truly. But how does one get started? Well, one gets started not by navel-gazing at the depths of one's own devotion to the Lord. No, one begins by marvelously, marvelously grasping the devotion of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who was fully devoted to his people, who lived the life required of his people to live, who died a death in devotion to the redemption of his people who died at death as a substitute, taking upon himself our sin, taking upon himself our lack of devotion uh, to God and paying the penalty of our sin and our lack of devotion as a display of his love and devotion for people like, like us. 
James, in the first chapter, will talk about God as Father. In fact, there's no sweeter title or description of God in the Bible than the fact that God is to his people a Father. How does one become a child of the Father? One becomes a child of the Father by turning from themselves and trusting in what the Lord Jesus Christ has done on the cross. One becomes a child of the Father when, when one turns to Christ because one's sins are forgiven, forgiven, which is the barrier that's keeping us from being well-loved children of God. And by trusting in Jesus, we are adopted into God's family. Now, once we have God as our Father through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, how does one live like a child of God? James wants us to know what that looks like. James is going to slowly unpack what that consists of. And James tells us that it requires wisdom, and wisdom comes to those who are devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. May God grant the grace for such a devotion. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for all that your word teaches and says to us. Thank you that your word not only describes what our Lord has done for people like us, any and all who are, would turn even this morning and trust in Jesus, but your word unpacks for us what's next. How do we live in light of trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ? So we're thankful for your word, and we would pray that our moments together these next several months would be profitable for your people, uh, that they would point us again and again and again and again to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has rescued us, the one who has brought about our adoption, the one whom we now wish to look like as we live for the Father who has loved us well. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.